Welcome to Canada's podcast. Hello, this is Robert Smigel coming to you today with Canada's podcast, where we talk to the entrepreneurs who are making it happen here in British Columbia. Our guest today is Scott Duke. Having started 11 companies to date, Scott is a lifetime entrepreneur. Most recently, Scott founded Open Road, an M&A advisory firm based out of beautiful Revelstoke, British Columbia, that assists business owners across North America to sell or purchase companies within the 2 million to the 20 million revenue range. Well, Scott, welcome to Canada's podcast and thanks for taking the time today to be here for all our listeners. Robert, I'm really happy to be here and I'm happy I was invited. It's uh, it's nice to have this chat. Excellent. Okay, let's get started here. Okay, tell us a little bit more about yourself. You started 11 companies. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty good considering you look so young. Give us the details on your current business. Yeah. Well, do you want me to give you a tiny bit of a background just to like build up to the current business? Yeah, 11 the companies, business you think you should here. be like 70 years old or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, the, I mean, the current business is only here because the previous ones, right? And I, I mean, that you see, I have 11 companies, which is true, but they're, a lot of them are small, right? Okay. And this is, so I'm not, oh, I'm this you know massive entrepreneur that's done these huge things. It's not totally the case. Like some of the companies I've had, and I think it puts things in context for people that are listening. Uh, like I've had a hot dog cart. You know, I'm the kind of guy that had a painting company when he was in okay. university, right? Yeah. So yeah. these nice small enterprises, which by the way, represents 95% of the businesses that are in Canada. So that's the, the vast majority mm-hmm. of companies are small. Uh, and so I've run a fair few of those. And then, then I did run bigger stuff, right? And okay. we did build a property management company and, you know, built that to scale and sold it to a private equity firm, which kind of was the, how I got into this space a little bit was through the, the property management, real estate side of things. And that's, that's what I do now is help people when they're on the cusp of, you know, they have businesses that are doing around a million, maybe $2 million in revenue. And they're looking to exit out of that company. We guide them down that path and show them what they need to do to sell to a strategic partner. It must be a lot of psychological um, work to be done. I mean, someone starts mm-hmm. a company, they built it, and it's time to say goodbye. Is there is there a lot of gee? I don't know if I want to do this. Well, it's at, the stats are actually pretty poor in that regard. Like talking to the psychological side, because uh, three to four owners that sell end up regretting it after selling, yeah. and part of the reason is that. And I mean, your audience knows as entrepreneurs, like we're, these are our babies and it's our identity. Uh, one yeah. of the companies that I had for a while, we grew into the largest wakeboard facility in North America. And it was at the time that was through my 20s and my early 30s. And it, it it was me. It was who I was. Like I was the brand. I was everything in that company. You know, when people thought of that company, it was called Basecamp. When they thought of it, they thought of me. And that is very much the case with a lot of entrepreneurs in their business. Like they are the pillar in the company. Uh, and it becomes your identity. And when you trade that identity for cash, one day you wake up and you're like, ooh, I kind of kind of want my identity back, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's sometimes why people regret the sale of their business. But it, it, it is the psychological, psych, psychological thing. And then with our businesses, that's also our community. Like our staffs, our family, and you know, yeah. our suppliers are our friends. And the conferences we go to are all intertwined with the business that we run. Uh, so when you when you sell, it's a it's a big change, right? Yeah. Now, um, open road. Did you need financing to start that up? No, no, no. I haven't actually used financing for anything that I've done. I, I mean, a lot of the stuff I do is just gritty. And by the way, it takes longer. Uh, I'm actually involved in a startup right now where we've used financing outside of open road. 
Uh, and it's a whole different beast, right? You have to, you got to move faster. And, uh, you know, there's, there's different parties that you have to adhere. You have to be beholden to because you need to hit your numbers and all the rest of that. So I, I prefer the method of slow and steady. And it, it doesn't mean it's that slow. It just means that instead of doing it in two years, you do it in five. Right. Okay. Yeah. I want you to give me a key piece of knowledge or information about your industries uh, that are your industry that our listeners can learn from. Is there anything that what you do or if say someone was thinking about selling or buying a company or what's that look like for the common person? What's that process look like? And mm-hmm. kind of walk me through that. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll walk you through the process. I'll give you the key knowledge that people don't necessarily have that the the one piece that I try and get across on these podcasts that I do is that it not every asset sellable. And that's the thing. It's like when we're entrepreneurs, we think, oh yeah, I'll sell this business. Not the case. Like a lot of the companies that I've owned ended up being unsellable, even though they had great revenues, like the wakeboard camp that I talked about. It was a, it was a good company. We had 25 staff, we had four locations, you know, it was humming away. Uh, but there was a lot of problems behind the scenes to make that it made it not sellable. Owner dependence being the primary one, right? So I just want people to know that just because you have a profitable company doesn't mean that someone's going to buy it. And it isn't not today. Doesn't mean that you can't make it sellable in the future, right? And John Warlow actually opened that door for me. I know you, you sometimes often ask people about books that they've read. Mm-hmm. And that was the first, that's how, what opened the door to me to understand companies being built to sell. So the difference between companies that are built for revenue and profit versus versus companies that can be built with transferability into it. Uh, so that's probably one of the things that I would mention to entrepreneurs that are listening is kind of know and get John's book or get other books about you know selling companies or connect with me. And at the end of this, I'll give you the, everyone some resources for that. But you want to know what you need to do in your company while you're building it just to make sure that it's sellable. Uh, as far as the process goes, that if you have a sellable asset, if you don't have a sellable asset, by the way, you're with you go to Biz Buy Sell. It's the largest business sales marketplace in the world. Uh, bizbuysell.com. And 80% of these just sit there and stagnate and never sell. That's the true, true number. So let's assume that the people we're talking to right now have you know, done their homework, done the work to make their company sellable. Then the pro- the 20% that actually cross the finish line, uh, that process looks like a building your company so it's sellable first, then taking it to market. And there's different ways that you take it to market. Uh, if you're using a broker, using somebody like myself, usually that's a confidential process because a lot of people don't want to sell their company, people to know their companies for sale. There's a multitude of reasons for that. But if you're an entrepreneur sitting and listening, it's like, you don't want your staff to know. You don't want your suppliers. You don't want your customers. There's no need for that, right? Uh, yeah. So you, you build some confidential marketing around that business and you put it out to the world. And that looks like there's a couple different ways of doing that. And people like us, we have networks of buyers that are out there buying businesses and we just kind of knock on doors. Uh, but there's lots of sites that, uh, by, by the way, for your listeners, open road, like our site's openroad.io and openroad.io slash resources has everything that I'm talking about right now. So if they're thinking about listing their business, it has like 15, 25, I think different sites in BC that you can list your business. So either way, so you get to the li- you get, you put your marketing materials together, you do the listing stage, uh, you get interest from the, your buyers and after that, there's some negotiation that goes on, obviously. And then you get to the stage, of, which is called a letter of intent. So it's the LOI. Uh, mm-hmm. the LOI is an offer that people will make on a business that's non-binding. So it doesn't bind the buyer, it doesn't bind the seller to purchasing the company, but it basically sets out the high-level terms of the transaction. So what people are going to pay, when they're going to acquire it, how long diligence is going to be, like this kind of stuff. 
So once the LOI is agreed upon, then you go into the stage of diligence. And we've actually got a couple of companies right now in diligence. And diligence can be bumpy. Uh, and it's it's nice and it's wise. And I would advise people that you want to do a pre-diligence audit on your company before you actually ever get into diligence. Because uh, when we sit down and we watch Dragon's Den online or we watch Shark Tank and a deal is done, uh, that actually, a lot of those deals don't really truly make it to the finish line. When they do the deal on TV, that's essentially the LOI stage. They've done this uh, theatrical uh, experience for us to watch and be entertained by. And by the way, I love those shows. Uh, but that is them signing a virtual LOI in front of an audience, right? Then they move into diligence. About 50% of businesses make it through that diligence spot because things come up that you know, hang them up and businesses don't sell because usually it's financial stuff, to be honest with you. Uh, gets things hung up. But that's why a pre-diligence is really nice. You do that work beforehand, you catch all the skeletons, kind of shake them out. And then when you go to do a real diligence after signing an LOI, you, you can you have a higher probability of making it through. So after you make it through diligence, then you go into what's called closing activities. So closing activities are where you're dra drafting share purchase agreements, drafting or an asset purchase agreement, depending on how the company's sales structured. Uh, and you're going through all the all the necessary details that are going to transfer the one the business to the new buyer, and that gives you brings you up to your finish line, which is your closing date. If your closing date closing date the the cash actually transacts, and there's a you know an infinite number of ways that you can structure a deal as far as a business sale goes, uh, but primarily that's when the, the vast majority of the cash transfers is on the closing day, and then you move into training and transition. And small businesses training transition can be you know as short as a month. Larger companies where they're looking for the buyer or the seller to stay on and with the company that can be at last three to five years. But you know, then you're under a contracted agreement and you're working for the for the buyer. So that's that, that's in a nutshell, kind of the big block okay. pieces. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So let's talk yeah. a little bit about doing uh, starting a business in British Columbia. And I think this is real interesting because you're up in Revelstoke. Obviously, you're away from Vancouver or any major city. And yeah. uh, obviously, where you get clients mm -hmm. and things like that. So, um, what are the biggest benefits for, for you and being an entrepreneur in, in British Columbia? Give us some of the good points about starting a company, and even some of the tough things or mm -hmm. challenges you've had for our listeners, so they can keep an eye out for them. So, we're talking about Revelstoke. Obviously, could be in this question, but uh, particularly BC. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what will be, will be some of the challenges and, and the good things. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you can speak to that having run, I've run business in Ontario um, and I've run business in BC. We've done a little bit in Alberta, but primarily British Columbia, Ontario. Uh, Ontario as an entrepreneur starting stuff there, I found was simpler. It's like, there's less rules, there's less regulations. You can kind of you do, a, it makes it a little, it, it was a simpler process, I would say. Uh, it Just getting started, you know? But that I would never trade that for the quality of life in British Columbia. Like it's the it's the best here. You can't you can't beat it, right? Um, being an entrepreneur, I guess, in a small town is an interesting thing too. Because I've done I grew up outside of Toronto, so I grew up in Mississauga, and we, so I've run companies there also. And so the big city has some benefits to it in that you have lots of clientele that are at your doorstep. You have lots of resources that are right there. If you you know, need to pull on somebody who would be a mentor. It's like you have a ton of knowledge base that are, are in cities uh, and and just more clients in general. So if you want to scale more quickly, you can do that. Uh, the nice thing about small communities, I find, especially when you're starting for something from scratch, is that they are a little bit more, um, there's a little bit more forgiveness in a small community when you're starting a business because you have less competition. 
So for instance, like moving into Revelstoke, like when I came here and I've been here now for almost 12 years, but when I came here, it was quick and easy to identify the pieces that were missing. It, it didn't have a really good radio station. It didn't have any after bar food and it was a newly a resort community and it didn't have anyone running a vacation rental management company. So these are things that when you move into small communities, that things just don't exist and you can create that. And I've seen lots of entrepreneurs be created in small communities just because of that, because they look around like, oh, I came from X place that had, you know, a really fantastic coffee shop or a really fantastic, like Revelstoke's been great for that because I've just seen so many cool businesses start up here that existed in larger communities, but didn't exist here. So it was kind of a blue ocean, right? Um, anyway, yeah. So that's what I did when I came here. We started a radio station. We started the property management company. And then, uh, and I had for a while, like I said, I had a hot dog cart that did after bar food because it was just the easiest thing to do when I moved here. So that that's the thing. I the, the, another challenge with small communities, though, and like I know this isn't directly the BC; it's any small community in general. Is that if you want experience working for a larger company, and just to kind of cut your teeth before you move out on your own, being an entrepreneur, it, it doesn't exist. It's like so, the small communities, for instance, like we we sell businesses that do two to twenty million dollars in revenue. A lot of them aren't here. They aren't in Revelstoke because the community isn't large enough to support businesses of that size. Like you can't scale to that size because there's just not enough of a customer base. So that's, I mean, I hope that helps answer the question. Okay, let's talk a little bit about your morning routine. Entrepreneurs like to, are pretty religious about their morning routines and working early, mm. getting up early and exercising, things like that. What does your first hour look like for you when you wake, get up in the morning? Do you have a specific routine or a ritual that helps you get motivated to start your day? And yeah. do you stick to it? And do you stick to it? Yeah, the stick to it's the problem, right? So I, I'm going to speak to Scott like, two years ago, and then I'll speak to Scott today because Scott today has a uh, and I, that's weird to talk to yourself in the full person, but I like right now, I today, uh, have a four, a four week old baby. So this oh, like completely, completely derails your life, right. As yeah. far as like a ritual, because you aren't sleeping at night and, but that, that changes pretty quick. Cause I also have a two-year-old. So after, yeah. after they're that age, they sleep through the night and then it, you can kind of go back to your regular schedule. Um, but historically what my morning looks like getting up early, usually I like to be up. I, I've tried, I actually have my little, like sheet here where i'm insane enough to like check off each day that i like succeed with it uh but i like to be up before six and when i was really humming before kids i'd be up even earlier than that I'd be like kind of 5 30 because those early morning hours are really where where i found that i could do good planning plan out the day and also be completely uninterrupted because once the day hits and whether it's your east eastern standard time uh, or if you're in BC and you're only working with businesses in BC, once the day hits, it's chaos, right? Like we all know that. So you're just dealing with fires and all the rest of that stuff with your team and whatnot. Uh, so I like those morning hours to get things done. Uh, I'm really religious about writing my day out, exactly what I'm doing during the day. Uh, and I also break it down to three categories. It's like, what are revenue generating activities, tasks that I'm doing today? Uh, what are activities that are just, they need to be, they need to be done, but they aren't necessarily revenue generating. And then most importantly, what activities am I doing that are going to benefit my company or myself in 10 years? So mm -hmm. five to 10 years. It's like th those are the things that fall off the list most often uh, because they aren't urgent and they aren't necessarily today, but they don't. And if you don't, but if you don't do them, you don't grow. Right. So yeah. those are those are educational things. Uh, those are all company building things. And for those people that then listening to your podcast, and I'm sure they're well aware of the business. Um What's the, oh, I might forget spacing on the name of it right now, but uh, the, where you work on your business instead of in your business. In your business, yeah. 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 
Um, that 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 book I, I probably read 15, if not 20 years ago now, but it's it was really good at establishing, okay, every single day that column of working on your business uh, needs to be done. Otherwise, you know, you just don't grow. So those are the, that's what I do in the morning. I just kind of check off. And, and I do like to exercise in the morning because I find if I don't do it in the morning, I just don't do it. It's like yeah. the day gets to you. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. You've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs throughout your career. Do you think they, that you have to be, to be an entrepreneur, you have to be weird or unique in a positive way or are wired differently? Do you see that with some of the entrepreneurs that you work with? Yeah. I, you know, this is a really good question. Like I put a lot of noodling into this one and I I had an experience last year without getting into the parties that it was with, but where I tr- where we we were up later at night and you kind of were in that environment where everyone was being free flowing conversation and it was all entrepreneurs. And I I asked the question of like why people are doing what they're doing and like what was their core driver. And you had to kind of ask that why a couple of times to people before it like really drilled down. And what I found is when you drilled down, it wasn't necessarily about you're born an entrepreneur, but I did find that. Of the and these these people that I was with were quite successful. So they you know they'd chosen the entrepreneurial path pretty early in their life, like somewhere in their twenties, uh, and and gone through the battles because as your listeners know, the battles can be fierce, right? So and they'd succeeded. So it's like okay, so they they, they made they made it. Let's say right. And all of us kind of dug down, and there was moments in our life, in our youth, and around that, the, the, the influential age, somewhere between like kind of 13, 14 to 18, that there was a moment in time that triggered them. Uh, and it was an external influence that triggered them. It was either a parent or a step parent or so, someone they really looked up to that they they saw them as you know something that they wanted to follow and something that they wanted to be whether it was because they had you know wealth or they had the you know a better life for whatever reason and and that was what lit their fire to be like i want that and i i and and then they just went for it so i i don't that's what i ended up digging down to and found that somewhere along the way there's like a serious emotional trigger that like trips a wire and then you decide, you know, I'm willing to put up with the pain of building something on my own to get the freedom on the other side or status or whatever it might be that they want. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. We did mention books. Let's just go through some books real quickly. I know that you're an avid reader. Uh, what are some mm-hmm. of the books that have helped you on your journey? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I, lo- I love reading. I just recently got a e-reader which is pretty great too for those people that haven't done that yet i've only had it for five days so i'm really new to it and uh, the electronic e-reader and has the light at night so it's much easier to read at night in bed uh but no i i think that i mean if any success that i've had i'd probably attribute at least 50 percent of it to reading so i I think it kind of breaks down into for for the entrepreneurs out there if you're and i I put a couple books here that i can just hold up because sure like this guy this guy we found recently which is traction um this is the guy that had runs started eos gino wickman and this uh, this book i only came across in he spoke at a conference i was at maybe four months ago now maybe five months ago and it's it basically show shows entrepreneurs an operating system that they can run their business off of. It's like, hey, this is an OS. It's not like it's an OS on your computer. It's like an OS that you would use to set the pulse, to set the rhythm, to how you work with your team uh, to achieve the goals you're trying to achieve. And I've done a lot of systems with that. We've we've used uh, Vern Harnish's and Rockefeller Habits and scaling up. 
And I, I really like this. So I would suggest this to somebody who's kind of looking for how do I set my business up from a system perspective uh, so that my team operates most efficiently. I think Gino Wickman's kind of nailed it. And it works for companies that are kind of go- in our range that we work with, like that 5 to 20 million. It really works well for that. Uh, so that's one. And then if you're just getting started and you're trying to figure out, okay, what do I do? Where do I go? Um, I like this book by Russell Brunson. Like he's really good. I followed him for a while, this expert secrets. And yeah, you know, he's kind of the an internet guru guy. And like there is some hackiness to it. But to be honest with you, like if you just if you look through the lines when you're reading it, it's a really easy read. You can probably read it in, I don't know, a week. Uh it it shows you how to get started. And I really like that because getting started is like almost the hardest part, right? Uh, so that's good. And then I think that as far as just general, generally day-to-day operation, what really makes the successful people successful versus the ones that aren't is just higher quality decision making. And you can you can read that and you can learn that, which is crazy. It's like you either learn through the mistakes that you make in your life to make better decisions, uh, or you can learn through the mistakes that others have made. Like mis- there's a book called uh, Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me, and I forget the author, but that's kind of the premise, right? It's like, how can I make better decisions by learning from people that make great decisions? Uh, so Warren Buffett's business partner, Charlie Munger, he has a book, it's called the Charlie Munger's Almanac. And it's probably about a $130 book, but it's a really easy read. And it's like pictures, it's like the size of a textbook, but you know, really nice pictures throughout. And it's just, it's, it's I think it might be called Wit and Wisdom, might be part of the title too. Uh, that book's incredible for improving your decision-making and what he calls improving your lattice work. That's good. And then also Ray Dalio of Bridgewater, who actually just stepped down, I think, yesterday, the day before, from being the you know the chief investment officer for Bridgewater, which is the they're the largest hedge fund in the world. Um, he's really good about putting information out to the world. And so his book, uh, Principles, is I found is really good as well. So from the business side, that's what I'd suggest. And then as just for our general reading. Uh, I would suggest the book Sapiens, which is probably the, uh, if you just want to have a really nice book to read. And that's Naval Hari. Um, he his his books that book's incredible. So those are some book suggestions. <laughs> yeah, I've read Ray Dalio. Yeah. I really like that book on principles. I think one of the things that stood out for me in that book was the question he always asks himself is, "What don't I know about this business or this situation?" Yeah. That was I thought. Uh, kind of a real iconic way to, even though he's smart, brilliant guy, he still asks us questions. What, what don't I know? And, and what could I learn from this? Which is really interesting. Yeah, okay, let, he's even yeah. got it. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Oh, I, I just want to stuck just uh, partly into, you know, going into this business that you're in, you see a lot of guys obviously exit women and so other companies that, but I want to ask you particularly, if you weren't doing what you do now, what would you like to do for a profession? Yeah, anything, I think, anything, what would you do if you sold your company for 20 million and next day you had nothing? But yeah, it's hard to say, right? Like, this is the thing I've, I've thought a little bit with this too, because most of my clients that I work with are in their 60s because yeah. that is the natural progression. If you're going to have a company that's doing five, six million, you, it's taken a while to get it there, probably. And if you're thinking about exiting, oftentimes the triggering event is retirement, right? Uh, so we've like I have a client right now who's 73, and so that's a lot of a lot of my clients are a little bit older. So I get to see I'm fortunate, and then I get to see what life looks like when you're at that stage. And I always thought that because I've been a grinder and like just worked hard and kind of like like doing that, uh, I thought that I'd be the kind of person that would die at the desk, right? 
but I've I've since changed that in the last little bit, especially when you have kids. That's a big triggering event in your life. Like, okay, you know, because work can very easily be the most motivating thing in your life, and it can be you know the the biggest pillar in your life and give you the most purpose. Uh, but when you have kids, it starts to shift a little bit, right? And, you know, I'm building this, of course, like anyone who's built a company and sold it when they build their next one, they're building it designed to sell it because the liquidity event at the end can be quite nice, right? And it can, can sure. move, the, move the needle a fair bit uh, in the goals of your life. So we're certainly building this to sell, but, and I don't plan to sell it for a long time because I'm actually really enjoying it. So the, to, to answer your question a little bit more directly, what if I just had money, like what would I go and do? Um I, I, you know, I just, I would spend time with family and I would, you know, I'd probably spend more time wakeboarding because that's what I like to do. Right. And, and skiing. Revelstoke's got some good skiing, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big, I'm a big outdoors enthusiast and my body's still in good shape that I can, you know, go out there and get a, get adrenaline punches, whether it's on the dirt bike or surfing or, you know, heli skiing or that kind of stuff. Right. So I would, I would do more of that, but I think that you also get to your point in your career. I'm not there yet. Uh, but looking forward 10 years for sure. Like I would, you just want to give back, you know, and help out more entrepreneurs and just be more involved on board levels and that kind of stuff. I'm sure that I'll do that. I was a city councilor here for a while in Revelstoke and, you know, that had its merits, its ups and downs. Uh, but I didn't, I did like the giving back part of it. And I did like kind of being on a board and that kind of thing. Uh, so it's certainly, I, I would do that. As far as like what other business I would run, I've never had more fun in my life than running my wakeboard camp ever. Like it was just yeah, it sounds like it. it, it didn't I'm getting paid money. to do this. I'm getting paid to do oh. this job. <laughs> it was so it was so it'd be like, you know, for people that don't know what wakeboarding is, it'd be like running a surf camp, really. That's what yeah. it was, you know. And we the the crew that that I worked with there, like we had so much fun. Well, you can't like rewind and go back in history. You could, I could certainly help other people out doing stuff like that and be involved with it. And I knew that's why I buy people buy sports teams and that kind of stuff, right? And I'm certainly yeah. not at the level where I'm buying a sports team, but I'm definitely at the point where I could help someone else start a wakeboard <laughs> camp, or a surf camp, or something like that, and then be involved in it at that level. So yeah, I think you just probably choose what you want, what you're most passionate about, and then you know put some more energies there. Okay. In business, what is your favorite word, quote, or sentence that you like to use? Is there something that you find or your <laughs> staff says, oh, he says this all the time, or the client says, oh, you, yeah. you told me that more than once? Anything that stands out I for you? I think that yes, there is lots that stands out, to be honest with you. But the first one that jumps into my mind with that is when I had my property management company, we basically had... You know, people call their thing the Bible that you live by or you have your operating manual or whatever, but it, like our mission and vision and values. One of them was this this line I use called bad news fast is good news because I was really trying to get my team to give me the bad news as fast as humanly possible because in the pro in property management, we managed all sorts of stuff, right? But uh, the property management, it can go bad really quickly. Like people like burst pipes, flooding, like all the rest of this stuff, right? So you want to know it about it as quickly as possible. And, you know, really bad news. Sometimes people want to shelter you from it because it's hard for people. People don't like conflict, right? And confrontation. Uh, so I was really trying to like train my team that bad news fast is good news, which I truly believe. It's like, if I Bad news is always going to be bad news. Like there's nothing you can do about it. It's just bad. You know, like you blew a tire, you crashed a car, like whatever. It's bad. Sunk a boat. That was one that we went through a couple of times. Right. But if you find out about it quicker, then you can deal with it faster. Right. So it's like yeah. bad news for us is good news. So I would say that's probably like this slogan that my staff would be like, oh yeah, that's like, that's Scott. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
if you had to pick one or two words to describe yourself, what would it be and why? Yeah, I mean, I call myself the happy deal maker. That's kind of my handle on uh, on YouTube and Twitter and all the rest of that. Because, yeah, I, I don't know, I'm a happy guy. Like I, whatever. I think they have to see that. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it you're apparently you're born with like fifty percent of that, and the rest you kind of have is malleable a bit. But I've always been a happy camper. So uh, we, the, my wake for camp, our slogan was uh, "Funds priority number one." So I would say that you know I'm if I were to describe myself, we'd just be driven and happy. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. Do you have any advice that you may, may have received from someone else that you can pass on to entrepreneurs throughout Canada? Yeah, I think that, I mean, I've received so much stuff along the way, but, and it's it just, you never know what's going to pop up when you're on one of these things as far as what, you know, what that question just lit up in my brain. But I, I did, I don't, I've never went to a Tony Robbins event. I've never been to one live in person. I, I've watched a fair few of his things online. Uh, but one of the things I was watching, like through Russell Brunson, because I did, Russell Brunson runs this program called the um, what is it, Two Comma Club X, Two Two Comma Club. Yeah. Anyway, I was part of it for about a year and a bit. Uh, but one of the videos that I watched from Tony Robbins, he's, he said, you, "You'll be underwhelmed what you can achieve in one year, but you'll be surprised at what you can achieve in ten. And I think that that's that. I don't know why what you said thought maybe think of that right now, but for entrepreneurs out there, it's one year is not enough you know when you when i look at everything that i've developed and built like whatever company it was it's such a struggle and a grind it's like year one year two and year three just honestly it sucks like you can you get through it through passion right and, and that's the only way that you kind of get through it but it really is that there and i don't say sucks because it's it's fun the whole time is learning but those are the years where you're not profitable, where you're like really trying to figure out what what is going to be a product market mix and you know what your customers are going to pay and how much they're going to pay for it and all the rest of this stuff, building your team. It, it, it's hard. But then it starts to get a little bit easier, right? And then you start to see kind of in year three, four, five, it really starts to accelerate and get a lot better. You get better as a person, you learn more. Um, so that I think that one would be the advice that I give. It's like, don't, don't give up on the in the early years because it really does take a it takes longer than anyone's gonna anyone thinks to, to reach that kind of critical mass where the ball's rolling enough on its own um that would be my feedback to that question awesome i love it okay scott we're gonna wrap things up how can our listeners get hold of you and is there anything you'd like to add before you leave us today yeah for sure so the getting a hold is easy like if you go to google and you type in scott duke my first name is scott my last name is duke then I populate, which is convenient because there's not that many Scott Dukes, I guess. So it's good. <laughs> um, our company is Open Road, but it's spelled O-P-N Road dot I-O. So that's the that's the website only because the openroad.com was taken with the full words and like everyone's shirt. Oh, it's, it's on my shirt here anyway. But yeah, mm -hmm. so that's people can go to the website if they want anything to do anything, any knowledge base about selling a company. I have more free stuff on our website in the resources section than I think anybody does, uh, including okay, all our competitors. Uh, we, we, I'm building right now as we speak. But by the time the podcast goes live, it'll be there because every time I talk to people, they ask me, like, can, can you give me a list of exactly what I need to do in my business to ensure that it's sellable? Uh, that's a question that I frequently get. And I've not, I haven't built out a resource for it yet, although it's like on my other screen right now and it's about 75% done. So it should be on our website in the next two days. So by the time this goes okay, live, yeah. it'll be yeah. there. Uh, and that that's super valuable for people. 
Um, yeah, so that's it. That's the easiest way to get in touch. If you want to watch the YouTube channel, it's at the Happy Dealmaker. I value a business on a skateboard, which is kind of entertaining. Uh, yeah, and then just general advice for entrepreneurs out there that it, you know, it's worth it. That's I think yeah. that's it. It's like the the freedom you get from it is totally worth it. And it's, it's, I can uh, see by the windows in your background. I can see freedom just oozing out there of the windows on your. Yeah, it's good. Like there's a tramp out there. And you, can <laughs> yeah. ride, you can ride a dirt bike from the house, and like it's, yeah. it's all good. Like, the only thing that's gotten anything that I have is just coming up with an idea and then making it happen and putting the right people around it to make it a go and getting other people excited. And that that's fun too, right? Like it's all it's all fun, but it's not easy. <laughs> no, that's for sure. Okay, Scott, yeah. thanks for coming on the show. I've learned a lot about you, and I'm sure our listeners have as well.